Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. of CD game show trolls, the smiling lie of the televised Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 53. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Headquartered, the book on the monkey's solo career should be out in February or March of 2020. If luck has it, I will be making a personal appearance at the end of March at the Beetle Fest in New Jersey. I'm still waiting for the Warren Kramer book as well. I'm also still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, the TTV scrapbook, and the Mad Book. And I'm also working on an article about Harvey Mystery Comics of the 1970s and plan to work on some new Harvey Comics stories with Eric Schenauer. Our guest today was a writer for both Mad and Cracked magazines and also wrote many scripts for Marvel Comics. He also has written many books, including The Shy Guide's Guide to Dating. Here he is, Barry Dutter. Okay, and on the phone today I have Barry Dutter. How are you today? Doing great. How are you, Mark? I am fine. And so how we usually start off these podcasts is I just ask, or just say, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into comedy writing. I am a writer who has worked for Marvel Comics, Cracked Magazine, Mad Magazine, Gag Magazine, <laughs> and numerous other humor magazines. Um, and I've always loved comedy. I've always loved writing. And... Uh, uh, even, even when I worked at Marvel Comics, I also worked on What the, which was their humor magazine. Oh, yeah. And um, what was the first one you did? Was that Cracked, or did you work on things prior to that? Um, let's see. I started at Marvel, and uh, my first sale ever to Marvel was a humorous story for What the. It was a Captain America story where uh, it was shortly after they did this story where... Uh, uh, fans could vote on if Robin was going to die or not in the Batman comics uh-huh. <laughs> uh, through, through a call-in vote actually and the fans voted they wanted blood they, they wanted dead Robin right right so I did a Captain America story where we bring back Bucky and then Cap figures out that his sales will go up if he does a phone-in poll asking if Bucky should die or not so that was my first uh, sale to Marvel it was a big thrill to finally uh, live that lifelong dream of you know, hearing a Marvel Comics editor say to me you just made a sale hey. <laughs> now were you trying for quite some time or was it just like just dumb luck you just turned in one story and that was it I was pretty much trying my whole life um, if you look in my high school yearbook under my photo it says future writer for Marvel Comics <laughs> it's literally says that it's it's the only job i ever wanted and you know this is one of those cases where sometimes dreams do come true i mean ever since i was a little kid i was mailing in stories to marvel which you know they were terrible and you know 
like a thousand, like ten thousand words on a single piece of paper, you know, single spaced. <laughs> so you know, the kind of thing where nobody would ever read it, and if they did, they'd be like, "What is this? Who wrote this?" <laughs> and so it's just, it was, you know, my lifelong dream to get into Marvel, and uh, I started off as a, a letter hack, which is the way you, one of the ways you could break into comics in those days. Right. Um, so I would write letters to the editor. I would every week. Every comic, not every, but most of the comics I read, I had opinions about it. It's kind of funny because when you're young, you just have so many opinions about everything. And I find like when I get older, like I don't ever think to write a letter to the editor of any comic book or magazine or TV show <laughs> or whatever. And it's it's just you know you, you watch something, and you go, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but when you're a kid, you're like, this was the worst thing ever that's ever been done in the history of things. <laughs> well, also, when we were kids, you did still have to take out the pen and paper. You know, it wasn't like now where you just dash off some email and or do a Twitter or something like that. You know, so it, it's a little sure. bit different in that regard, too. But... Yeah, no, but I was very active. I would mail out, you know, let's say, you know, say five or ten letters a week to Marvel. Wow. Uh, my opinions about their comics, and I got a lot of letters printed. If you go back uh, to the early '80s or so, you'll see. You know, if you pick up ten Marvel comics, probably a couple of them have letters uh, in them from me. <laughs> and like at a certain point, I was actually on the list of people who were getting too many letters printed. Oh. So then I was on the "do not print his letters" list Ooh. for that reason. <laughs> but then still, I still got a lot printed anyway. <laughs> and I, I sort of became famous for launching my anti-She-Hulk campaign. <laughs> which, um, which was a, a letter writing campaign I, uh, what happened was Marvel came out with this character called the She-Hulk and you know right. I always like to say when they introduced Spider-Woman I said nothing when they introduced Ms. Marvel I said nothing <laughs> by the time they introduced She-Hulk I said okay this is it we can't have this this is ridiculous it makes us a laughing stock us Marvel fans <laughs> because all our lives we always made fun of DC Comics they have Superman Super Baby Super Horse Super Dog Etc. Etc. And you know, as a Marvel fan, that's one of the things you could make fun of about DC because Marvel would never do that. Right. They had too much integrity to uh, milk their characters like that. <laughs> and then, as we reached a certain point where, for copyright reasons, it became necessary for Marvel to introduce um, different versions of their characters just to prevent other people from doing the same thing. Apparently, DC Comics did a story once where they had a character called Spider Girl. Oh. And uh, and then in fact there was even a TV show that aired called Web Woman. Yes. And she had all the powers of Spider Man. So Marvel essentially had no choice. They had to come out with a Spider Woman just to stop someone else from doing it. Right. And they had, and then Universal Studios was like, hey, we're going to launch a. We have the Hulk TV show. We're going to launch a She Hulk TV show show that we will own all the rights to because we are creating it. And Marvel was like, well, no. If we publish a She Hulk comic first, then you will not own She Hulk. Ah. So. Even as a little kid, I, I was aware of all this behind-the-scenes stuff going on, and I, I didn't like that. To my knowledge, She-Hulk was one of the first characters introduced simply for copyright reasons, just to protect a trademark or, a copyright, <laughs> or whatever the fuck. So I was, you know, furious. I guess that's the, I don't know if that's the word for it, but I, I was apoplectic. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, I just said, "This is we can't have the She-Hulk. It's too stupid. We have to do something to shut her down." <laughs> so I launched a letter writing campaign and then I made up a fake committee, uh, you know, hundreds of letters all written by me with fake names, uh, petitions with fake signatures, uh, and just bombarded Marvel Comics with this uh, fake campaign to get the She-Hulk comic canceled. <laughs> and um, the uh, editor, or writer of, uh, and editor, I think he was, of the She-Hulk comic, a man named David Anthony Kraft, he thought 
my letters were funny and he used to print them <laughs> although apparently the editor-in-chief of marvel comics told him don't print those letters because we don't want this committee to have any power over our character. <laughs> so, long story short, the She-Hulk comic was canceled a couple years later. Nothing to do with my fake committee, I'm sure. Absolutely nothing. I, was, you know, <laughs> I, I can't take any credit for it. In fact, I've even come to accept the She-Hulk as a legit character because over the years, different people have come in and she's gone beyond her roots as a Hulk rip-off character to you know, sort of blossom into her own So you canceled, or got canceled, you think, uh, Savage (laughs) She-Hulk, not the later incarnation of Sensational She-Hulk, which actually, I did enjoy that one, but it was probably for perverted reasons more than anything else. John John Byrne was doing the art on Sensational She-Hulk, and he he actually introduced a fresh angle to the character. She was kind of the original Deadpool. She was the first breaking the fourth wall character, at least in the Marvel Universe that I can think of. And so that was, uh, you know, it was, that was the beginning of people going, oh, wait a minute, there's different approaches to She-Hulk. She doesn't just have to be like a, a girl going Hulk, She-Hulk smash, you know, like a mm-hmm. female version yeah. of the Hulk. Yeah. So that character went away, but um, I forget where we, how we started this. Oh, just uh, how you got into Marvel, and you said you were a letter yes. hack at first, and then yes. Now, at second. that time, did you read every Marvel thing? Were you a true Marvel zombie? I wouldn't say I read everything. I... <laughs> I kind of let me tell you um, my great frustration with Marvel Comics I mean I came aboard in the 70s which was a great great time for Marvel Comics there were so many great new characters new concepts new formats and new people new artists and and new new writers and artists being brought in and then by the time we got to the 80s it's like that all came to a dead stop Um, there were a couple of good books you still had your you know your Claremont Byrne X-Men for a little bit you had your Frank Miller Daredevil which was at one point the only thing Marvel really had going for them Mm -hmm. Um, and then there came a point where it seemed like new characters and new concepts stopped being introduced in the Marvel Universe you go back to the 80s and it's basically uh, Transformers, Rom Space Knight, Micronauts, Shogun Warriors, G.I. Joe, (laughs) every single one of them a licensed property now I know there are fans of all those books, and I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody who likes those things. <laughs> you could certainly enjoy those things. But to me, as a Marvel fan, it was it was really frustrating to me that nothing really new came out of Marvel in the 80s in terms of a character, you know, new characters, yeah, Marvel characters who were lasted. Right. So that was frustrating. <laughs> but, but then, you know, what I did was I started getting into the fan press. I started writing for... Comic Spider's Guide, Amazing Heroes, um, Comic Scene, S-C-E-N-E, yes. and um, random other you know fan magazines. Uh, I started getting interviews with writers and artists who worked for Marvel, and I got to know people that way. And that was yet another way to break into the industry also. So, you know, I was following sort of a standard path that had been blazed before me by many others. Of start off with the letter writing, then you get into the fan press, and then if you're very, you know, then I started writing for Marvel Age magazine, right? Which was Marvel's house uh, organ at the time, and that was, you know, pretty big thrill too to be getting like one or like basically one article a month for Marvel in Marvel Age, mm-hmm. which was a legit assignment from Marvel Comics. That was the beginning. That's where it really all started. Was that before or after the what the? That was before actually. Oh, okay. so, but okay. I mean, what okay. that was my first. Story. Got first it. Comic okay. Book okay. Story. Just want to make sure on the timeline here. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, well, what type of stories? I know you said you did the one with ten thousand words on one page that nobody would read. But when you got a little more straightforward and got the, 
uh, you know, the format down. Was was there any stories you sent in prior to the what the that you thought, oh, this will work, and it didn't get it got rejected for whatever? What titles were those for? Um, I have a, had an Incredible Hulk story that I thought was really good, and I, I still think that Germ or the idea is good. Although, you know, one, one of the curses or blessings of pitching ideas to Marvel and DC is at some point somebody else is going to have the same idea. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just have this list of like a hundred stories that I came up with, which I've seen other people do since yeah. then. Yeah. Stories that I maybe never told anybody or never shared with anybody and just like, yeah, well, if you think about the Hulk, eventually this is going to come up. My, my Hulk story was he, um, the whole idea with the Hulk is the madder he gets, the stronger he gets. Right. And so I said, what if he gets so mad, we create a situation where his, his anger than he's ever been before, his rage is so great that it can't even be contained in his Hulk-sized body. So he grows into a new, even stronger form called the Behemoth. Yeah. And he would be like 20 times the size of the Hulk, almost like you know Godzilla size, because <laughs> he's just so angry. And it's, you know, it would just be a fun Hulk-smashing more-than-usual <laughs> story. <laughs> and... uh Sadly, that did not get picked up. But, I, you know, over the years, there have been so many incarnations of the Hulk where he gets bigger and stronger. So it's not, in the scheme of things, doing a story where Hulk gets bigger and stronger is maybe not the most creative or innovative idea. But Right. Yeah. But I, I suppose, you know, because I can think back to the Hulk of the 60s and 70s, you know, it really hadn't been done. It's like he just got to the, be the standard green or gray Hulk. And... Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Then kind of went back to Bruce or David Banner or whatever Bruce Banner. It's Bruce David Banner, Banner on the yeah. TV show. Sorry, uh, right. David Bruce Banner. There we go. Uh, yes. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, let's see. Where was I going wait, with that? Wait, actually, yeah. if I can interrupt you real quick, I'm sorry. Sure, sure. Um, Marvel had a rule at the time, which I thought was the, the rule was they used to tell people don't send in stories to us because we're not going to read them. Now the truth is they would read them. But the catch was they would tell people not to send them in because they figured only the people who were really good or really wanted their stories to be read would submit them. <laughs> so I, I was one of those people. I was like, tell me you're not going to read it. I'll send it in. You'll read this one. <laughs> yeah. And they, unfortunately, they did. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure but, uh, they put that also because they didn't want to encourage it. Then they'd be inundated with, you know, just everything, you know. It'd be the little crayon drawings of Hulk smash and everything <laughs> like that. Print this, you know. It's like, shit, no, <laughs> too much. True. And, <laughs> and I, I believe we have a situation now where no one at Marvel or DC will read any uh, unsolicited uh, manuscript that's sent in to them. Right. Because, you know, they have to, you have to fill out a form, um, I forget what it's called, but a consent form basically saying, you know, blah, 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 and Anyway, it's it's almost impossible for anybody to get in now just by mailing in a story to Marvel or DC. Right. Well, even now, like on portfolio things uh, for artwork, uh, don't you have to see them at a convention now instead of at the offices? Is that correct? Um, I don't. I'm not sure what their current policy is. I think most uh, Marvel and DC generally have a person. Uh, in charge of submissions? I don't know if they even have it. They used to. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I'm a little out of date. Um, well, I am too, so <laughs> we'll just guess. But <laughs> yes. I'm sure if, you, if your art is really good, you, you can send it in and they'll probably hire you. That's 
That's how we did it when I was on staff. Okay, because I, I thought they got more strict, uh, but they, you know, they could change it the drop of a hat. You know, it's like, uh, but they got so strict that they said, no, we will only see you at conventions, and namely just like San Diego or New York or something like that, the Big Apple or something, one of those bigger conventions like that, and nowhere else. So if you're stuck in like Kansas and you couldn't make it out there, you were kind of stuck and just had to go. Oh well, you know. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I still can't believe that if somebody sent in some great artwork to Marvel that they wouldn't want to hire the person. That, That's that true, too. Yeah. <laughs> right to me. Like, you know, as an editor, you get packages every day and, you know, submissions and so forth. Um, and the other thing, I guess they're thinking, if you really want to make it an in industry, you'll find a way to get to San Diego or New York. Maybe that's, again, part of that package of uh, True. the people who really want to get in will get in. Mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> the thinking there. Um, but I was going to mention one thing. Um, one time I, I asked... Yeah, my editor at Marvel Age just said, would it be possible for me to come up and visit the Marvel offices? And they said, sure, come on up, we'll give you a tour. So, of course, I, you know, as a, a youngster, I was probably maybe 20 or so, I don't remember how it was, let's say 20s, early 20s. And it was, you know, still a huge thrill to get to go to the Marvel offices. Right. And then I, I met my editor, who was Jim Salaker mm-hmm. at the time. And um, a couple months later, my editor at Marvel Age got transferred to a different department. And Salakrep remembered meeting me, and he called me up one day and said, how would you like a job on staff as the new editor of Marvel Age magazine? Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, assistant editor. Oh, okay. editor. Let, oh. Me, let me get that right. <laughs> but, I mean, it was just so random. Like, that's kind of, yes, it's the only job I ever wanted, but I never filled out an application. That's how I like to put right, it. Um, right, right. Yeah. I went to school, studied journalism and creative writing, and, you know, I was always studying and, you know, working to become a better writer, but it wasn't like I went in there and met with their uh, the person who is in charge of you know their HR director and uh, right. submitted a, a, a resume or anything like that right well it so, sounds like when you were doing it back in the in the 80s is like you didn't have to do it that way it was still a little because every Marvel story I every interview that I've ever even done or transcribed or listened to it seems like they all have similar stories to what you're talking about it was very casual it wasn't this strict environment you can't, you have to do it this way or you just won't get in you know or whatever yeah i mean there marvel has become more corporate and over time as they were <laughs> bought up by bigger and bigger corporations so that's uh, unfortunately an inevitable part i suppose of doing business in in this time yeah so so i got, yeah, I got in uh, as an editor um then an opportunity came up to become an assistant editor on a bunch of different comics so i was working on as an assistant editor on Conan the Barbarian, Captain America, um, a wrestling comic book from Marvel, um, a bunch of other Savage Sword of Conan. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was great. You know, here, here's the greatest thing about working for Marvel is, you know, when I was there, you could pick up the phone at any time and call up. You know, we had like Todd McFarlane did a Conan cover for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so since we had Todd, I said, well, why don't, why don't we call Jim Lee? So I called Jim Lee and he did a cover for us, Conan <laughs> fighting Red Sonia. And then um, you know, I would call up Art Adams, or I would go, oh, we did a, a reprint of uh, John Byrne's Captain America story. So I called up John Byrne, and, uh, <laughs> and he did a. And there, there's kind of a funny story with John Byrne where uh, he did an issue of the Fantastic Four where he was, you know, he brought in She Hulk as a member of the FF. Yeah. And that, that was enough to get me to quit buying the Fantastic Four at that point. I was like, <laughs> and, you know, I read all of John Byrne's Fantastic Four until that point. And I said, no, this is, we can't have this. This is trying to legitimize a character that had gone away. Remember, she was essentially absent from the Marvel Universe for a little while after the comic was canceled. Right. 
So this was the beginning of the big She-Hulk rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is everything I've worked for my whole life. <laughs> it's all falling apart because he's bringing this character into the Fantastic Four. So, of course, I launched the committee to cancel, not cancel, but to get the She-Hulk out of <laughs> Fantastic Four. With another one of my fake committees where I was the only member, of course. Right. <laughs> and, and I would bombard uh, John Byrne with letters uh, every month. Most of them signed by me this time around. And Byrne just, at a certain point, he just got sick of it. He didn't think it was funny. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't appreciating my, <laughs> my rants about the She-Hulk. So he actually put me in a comic as a villain who tortures the She-Hulk for a whole issue and then gets his ass kicked by She-Hulk at the end. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you about that. So, oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, because I read that somewhere. I said, is that true? So, uh, But, you know, it was only one spot I saw it. I didn't do that heavy research. But, you know, and the character was named Dutta. Yes. D-U-T-T-A. I mean, it was very subtle. Very subtle. Nobody would have caught it if I... <laughs> and it just, I, I love the fact that there is a character in the Marvel Universe named after me. Uh, he only appeared once, and if I do have any regrets at all, is that while I was on staff at Marvel, I was friends with the editor of She-Hulk, and I did pitch one She-Hulk story, but I never did pitch the return of Dutta. And I'm looking back now going, how did I <laughs> not was... pitch that? I mean, <laughs> You're anticipating my questions here. It's like, you know, would you have... You were anticipating my questions here, but it's just fine. You know, so I'm just saying. It's like, uh, so you, you're looking forward to the She-Hulk Dutta marriage issue, right? Yeah, it's like well, the wedding issue. Yeah, well, you know, because rather than the idea of Dutta comes back and just tries to kill She-Hulk again, I was thinking, well, what if now Dutta realizes that she is a great and powerful warrior and he respects her now? What if he thinks that she would make a good mate, so he wants to marry her now? Or right, you know, right. Anyway. So that would have been, it wouldn't have been the predictable Dutta's revenge where he's like, this time I'll kill you for real, you know? That would have been, you know, kind of predictable and boring but it would i think it would have been fun if dada had a change of heart and he goes from number one she hulk hater to, to the point where he loves her so much and then she really can't stand it because he's just so clingy or something <laughs> and you know the she hulk comic was funny it was you know it was treated it played for laughs pretty much yeah, uh, yeah. in the sensational era mm-hmm. so it would actually it actually would have been i think a really cute and funny story but i never really took it beyond the initial idea yeah Oh, Much to my regret. <laughs> <laughs> but I still, I always like to say, someday Dada will return. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know when, but it, you know, a great character cannot stay down, and he is just too great of a character. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to your Slurpee Cup, so hey. <laughs> Probably be looking a long time, huh? Anyway, um, uh, now. Uh, I I have two questions and I'm starting to ask them at the same time now. Um, okay. Uh, did you get over to Cracked while you were working at Marvel, or was that later, or did you continue to work at Marvel? And do you ever do anything for Marvel now? So those are both the questions. So you can answer them. <laughs> A lot of questions there. Yeah. Um, let's um backtrack. <laughs> backtrack for a minute so i was on staff at marvel for a few years but my whole dream the whole time i was there i apparently used to just go around telling everybody but what i really want to do is quit staff and go freelance which is not the smartest thing to say to people when you're on staff uh, for a major it, it, it tends to limit one's uh, prospects for uh, rising in the uh, in the company uh, but yeah it's kind of funny because you know, I never wanted to be on staff at Marvel, but I 
I paid a lot of attention to how people got work writing for Marvel. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the way you got writing work for Marvel was you worked on staff as an editor. That was the path that Mark Grunewald, Ralph Macchio, Joe Duffy, so many others before me followed that path. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, well, that seems like, you know, it's like the last thing I ever wanted in my life was to work a nine to five job. Because, you know, like creative types, we like make our own hours, work in our pajamas, work at home, that kind of thing. But I said, all right, I will bite the bullet. I will make the sacrifice. I will go on staff at Marvel. And then what happens is you wind up getting like great benefits, health benefits, 401k, paid vacations. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, I don't want, well, wait a minute. Uh, Let's, let's rethink this for a minute. Do I want this? Uh, But um, what I did do while I was on staff was I made a lot of connections. I started getting writing work while on staff until finally there came a point where I was able to leave staff and, you know, kind of reluctantly, but at the same point, you're like, all right, this is my real dream. You know, you always want to, you don't just want to take the paycheck. Sometimes you want to try and stick to the dream of being a freelance writer. Right. So when freelance, as soon as I went freelance, I moved uh, down to Florida because I could, because I was tired of those, you know, cold East coast winters up mm-hmm. North. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was still living in New York, uh, New Jersey area. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically New Jersey, but anyway, um, so okay. At this point, I'm freelance. I'm I'm writing Ren and Stimpy for Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. I'm writing uh, a couple pages every month in Beavis and Butthead. I'm writing Power Rangers. I'm writing the weekly bullpen bulletins page. So I'm really I'm legit like a full time writer, freelance writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never I'll never forget one time I was at a party and I met a woman and she said, "What do you do for a living?" And I said, "I'm a writer." And she goes, "Yeah, no, but but what do you do?" Like what? <laughs> Yeah, because no writer in the world could possibly pay their bills or make a living. So she said, well, what do you do? And I said, no, I'm, I'm a writer. That's what I do. And, and it never occurred to me that, oh, I mean, there are writers who have to take other jobs and do other things uh, um, yeah. to pay their bills. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was a little bit of a role. Um, and it was, it was kind of funny because um, at one point I was writing the monthly Ren and Stimpy, and then they decided to do a quarterly Ren and Stimpy, which would be an extra 64 pages every now and then. Right. And so... I'll never forget this. this is back in the days when your work used to come in over the fax machine. Mm-hmm. Like an artist would draw a page of Ren and Stimpy, and then they would fax it over to me, and I'd have to put the words in the, in the balloons and everything. And um, I just remember one day, and I was it was extremely busy. I had a ton of work, and I just wrapped up the monthly issue. And then they started faxing me the pages from the quarterly issue, which would be another like I think maybe let's say maybe it was forty eight pages that I had to write. Mm-hmm. And I just. I had that moment where I was like, oh, man, I don't I'm, I'm, I, I thought my work was done. I thought my, my work day was over. I'm, I don't want to be doing this. And then I, I paused. I, I, I hit the reset button. I said, you know what? Enjoy it now. <laughs> because it's, it's not going to last. Because I, I know the history of comics. Most, it's very hard for any writer to sustain a career in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them don't last more than five or ten years, and after that, you know, you, for some reason the work dries up. You just don't get any more work, and uh, at least that's how it always was in the past. Right. And so I said, you know, just try to enjoy the moment. Try to remember this moment when you had so many pages coming over the fax machine that you you said, I have too much work for Marvel right now. <laughs> I can't deal with all this work I'm getting in this <laughs> industry that I love so much. So anyway, long story short, moved to Florida. As a fully employed comic book writer, next day uh, they um, canceled all my books. They fired all the editors who were giving me work, and I was an unemployed comic book writer. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was very sudden, and it was just coincidence that's when it happened. Uh, Marvel 
most people forget this. Marvel went through a bankruptcy in the mid '90s. Right. They made some bad investments, and yeah. it didn't pay off for them. And they made some <laughs> some choices, distribution choices that hurt the company and hurt the industry. And um, you know, they almost sold off all their characters. Yeah. And, and long story short, I suddenly was unemployed, and I was like, "Oh wow, that was <laughs> a lot quicker than I thought it was." <laughs> <laughs> well, you were also working for the license books, and and Marvel did that. Is that there was a time where they canceled all the license book which is kind of ironic since you were saying earlier is transformers and rom and blah 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 you know uh-huh. and it's like they canceled all those Ren, stimpy babevis and butthead i think the very last one until they did some star trek later was yeah. uh a single one shot of mighty heroes and that was it and then uh-huh. they said we're only going to do in-house characters from now on you know <laughs> And I remembered that, and that was when I stopped buying Marvels at all because I wasn't into all their superheroes by that point. Yeah, so. Interesting. <laughs> but I don't know if so, you remember yeah. that on that side of the coin. But I was buying all those Rand Stimpies. Uh, I remember seeing your name on there. Um, the artist for most of them was probably this other friend of mine named Mike Kazala. So Mike did is you, awesome. Did, did you deal with him directly then, or just you got the faxes and? <laughs> And stuff just, like that. just got the faxes. Yeah, ah. I never dealt with him directly. Then I did hire him for uh, work years later on oh, yeah. magazine. Uh, he's one of my favorite favorite artists, and I hope to work with him again in the yep. future. He's just yep. super talented. Um, one of the things that he drew for Crack that was yeah, I think it was for Crack one time. He, we were doing a page where it was the um, I came with, up with this idea of all the uh, Japanese animated heroes fighting all the American animated heroes. Right, right, uh, and so. Uh, we did uh, the big twist ending was all the um, American superheroes come in at the end and beat the crap out of all the Japanese characters and um, Mike had this panel of all the characters flying in it was like Superman flying in and I can't remember who else of all the flying superheroes and he actually had he had Popeye in there flying which <laughs> was really funny because first of all yeah it's like who thinks to put Popeye in there and second of all why is he flying but okay why not let's go with that <laughs> but that's just the, the twisted genius of Mike Kazella yes 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 <laughs> I talked so, to him. Uh, I've seen him recently, probably in the last few months, and he's doing well and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he's I, I, he's I always looking for work too. So if you ever have an opportunity for him, he'll he'll work for you. Oh, so. Good, good. I, I definitely am going to hire him again for something <laughs> in the near future. Yeah. Okay, uh, but back to you. Uh, so, um, how did you get into cracked? Then, I mean, that that seems like a weird story too, because now you were in it before. Dick Culper, right? You were in there yes. right at the tail end of the Lou Silverstone Andy Simmons era, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, uh, once um, I was freelance for Marvel, I was, of course, free to freelance for anybody else at the same time. Okay. So I, I think that was around the time I started submitting to Cracked. Um, and, of course, the... Um, let's see how I can put this. The, the standard procedure at the time was submit all your best stuff to MAD, it gets rejected, submit it to Cracked. That was pretty much how me and everyone else in the industry worked at the time. Cracked was the bottom-feeding magazine that got MAD's uh, refuse or you know, rejects. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I was having the hardest time breaking into MAD. I was, like, banging my head until... And, yeah, I don't remember the chronology. I, you know, I did ultimately sell two pieces to MAD, which was fantastic and just like the greatest like a highlight you know that's like yeah unfortunately when you get a work for mad magazine that's something you wear with like a, as a badge of honor i mean you get work for cracked you're kind of like eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's in there it's in print yeah so um yeah i was submitting to uh, andy simmons he was my contact over at cracked and you know i started to get semi-regular work for cracked you know you'd submit them 10 ideas and it's kind of weird when you're 
and you're in that mode of submitting for those magazines because then you just start to think everything that you see is funny and idea for crack and you know that's yeah if you submit them 10 ideas maybe two of them are good you know worthy of being in the magazine and the other eight are just hey i just saw a squirrel climbing a tree i bet that could be a funny idea for crack and it's like no that's not not everything is is a funny idea so um Yes, I was submitting to Cracked. <laughs> Although, and, anyway. But, yeah, you know what? No, I definitely got into Cracked first. <laughs> because then when it came, when a, a Matt finally accepted one of my pieces, they said, okay, they told me, you need to make a choice here. Or they asked me, said, are you going to continue to submit to Cracked? Because if you are, then you'll have to use a pseudonym for Mad. If you're going to submit to Mad exclusively, then you can use your real name, Mad. Ooh, I didn't know that. See, I thought you did it like uh, Silverstone did. He, he he did his on the sly and did a pseudonym so he wouldn't get caught. And then he was ratted out by somebody else later, and so he had to make a choice at that point. But uh, in your case, you were told to do a pseudonym? That's interesting. I don't think you ever told me that. <laughs> I was I was offered a choice. Huh. I was The choice was... I mean, I guess the choice would have been use your fake name for cracks. That's probably what I should have done at that point. But <laughs> then I probably would have been busted, just like Lou was. But uh, no, I, I just took them at, at face value. They said, do you think you're going to be submitting to Cracked again in the future? My thought was, yeah, anything that you guys reject is going to go right to Cracked, of course. Um, so it just kind of made sense to use the pseudonym. So that's, I guess, if there's a little asterisk on my work with Mad Magazine is the fact that I never got to use my real name in Mad but of course I used the pseudonym Larry Sutter which was so close to my real name that anybody who knew me would know that was me. Where in the world did you come up with that? I I mean that's that's, anyway Uh, uh, I don't know. Very creative I guess Well it's better than me and you know and some people side with me. I I have a cover that I didn't get any credit for but I still take credit for it Uh, it's the Seinfeld issue where uh uh, Alfred E. Newman knocks on the door and he goes, hello, Newman, and I submitted that thing by fax. And, uh-huh. I, and that's a key point because uh, after they told me and I complained about it, I said, hey, you, you published my idea. Oh, we get lots of ideas like this. Uh, and I was talking with their lawyers. After I complained about it, then they said, and they still do, even on the waning days of Mad here, Mad does not accept faxed submissions. And it's been in the magazine ever since. And it's like, you... <laughs> anyway, so I still take credit for the cover. I don't care what they say. You know, <laughs> I didn't get paid for it, but I will still take credit for the cover until the day I die. Anyway, so... <laughs> but well, I, I guess I had a similar thing. I once submitted a, a piece uh, around the time the movie Titanic came out oh, yeah. where Leonardo DiCaprio was kind of blowing up as the hottest thing in the business, and I submitted a a bunch of gags about Leonardo and one of the jokes was something about Leonardo decapitated <laughs> and uh, that ended up on the cover of a cracked magazine at some point but I was never given credit for it though but mm. I do remember the editor at the time saying oh that's really funny I love that yeah yeah that was <laughs> so, on the cover of one of them um, yeah I, I think like, I uh, think Ben Wong uh, drew that one out, or painted that one or whatever <laughs> um so Again, it might be just, uh, again, it's sort of an obvious twist on his name, so I, maybe somebody else came up with the same idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could even say on mine, it's just that the, the, I did submit it, that's the thing. If I hadn't submitted it and they came up with it, oh, well, you know, it's like, and the fact that they were so adamant about, oh, we get lots of ideas, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, come on. Yeah. I, I didn't even care about the money, I just wanted the name credit, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted yeah. my, because I'd submit just standard letters in MAD, like, did you ever get 
a letter in MAD, or did you ever even write to MAD? You know, it's like, I, I just, no. when I was younger, I wanted my name in MAD, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, I didn't care, you know, and it's like, I did get my name in Crazy, so I guess that's somewhere. <laughs> they they did publish one of my letters, so it's like, that's All a, right. So, I got somewhere. That is, that is something, yeah. <laughs> yeah and... You know, the funny thing was, I didn't even know that it was in there until, like, years later. I guess I wasn't reading the letters section all the time. And right. it was, like, a couple of years later, I go, and I was looking through an older issue, and I go, Hey, it's my letter! Nice. <laughs> and it was just a dumb letter where I was saying, uh, Do you think... Uh, uh, how did I write it? Because it's how they responded. Uh, do you think you'll put out uh, crazy paperback books? And they said, well, where do you want us to put them? You know, and it's like, that's their funny yuck-yuck response to my serious question. We will be back after this message. If you live in the Bay Area, visit Lee's Comics during the month of December 2019 and enjoy a huge ongoing sale featuring quarter books refreshed throughout the day. All back issues and sets half price. Half price golden and silver age high value collectors wall comics, new items daily. Marvel Pure Hero shirts starting at just five dollars, Spider Man, Punisher, Captain America, and more. Graphic novel sale. Buy two Funko Pop and get one free, and much, much more. Lee's Comics Mountain View is open daily from eleven AM to seven PM and ten till nine on Saturday. Tell them that the Fun Ideas Podcast sent you and receive a free gift. And now, back to the Fun Ideas Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey, I was like, I don't think like 12. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. I don't think they ever did put out a Christmas paperback book, though, did they? Well, the closest is, although I have some news for you, the closest is the, um, the Dark Horse published the complete history of Moosekind in a single volume, which originally appeared in Crazy. So I count that. But okay. I've heard rumblings, rumble, 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 that uh, Marvel, because they always want to re-secure all their copyrights, uh, is going to put out an anthology that's coming out in January of 2020. So, But I think they're going to emphasize the articles that had their superhero characters in it, which is kind of a bummer because... You know, just a general anthology would be preferable to me. But hey, I'm happy that they're putting out something. <laughs> so uh, we'll see yeah. in, if, in January if it comes out. But anyway, <laughs> a lot of that stuff just doesn't hold up. So maybe they figured it's safer just to stick to the superhero parodies. Yeah. You know, when you do like a crazy look at hippies or whatever, somehow in 2019 it just doesn't, really, <laughs> doesn't resonate with the. With the true, true, part. true. Yeah, but. Uh, I still want to see a cast for the dead baby in a nice anthology version. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, but uh, what was I going to say? There are, there is supposed to be this very month a brand new crazy issue with Obnoxio the Clown, but it's going to be comic book size, and yes, it's going to be superhero focused. So it's probably going to be like your what the or not Brandeck or something like that. So yeah, I think at this point Marvel has that thing where like once a year or so they like to come out with here's a funny look at our superheroes but it's not yeah yeah it's not like the old what the or not brand act like we used to have where it was the regular thing and i'm sure you know this more than me but you know it seems like all the publishers 
somewhere along the line they have to resurrect an old title they haven't used in 20 or 30 years just in case somebody else wants to call their magazine crazy so is that correct they need to do that because I remember DC did that around the turn of the century is that they put out one shots of all American comics and sensation comics you know they made them look like they were from the 40s but it was new stories and I think it was just to re-secure the copyrights for another hundred years or whatever I don't know yeah that's absolutely a thing that publishers have to do to protect their trademarks right yeah so I figured that's what the crazy thing's about now because why in the world would you bring out crazy now especially when Mad's kind of going under and stuff like that so um do you know? Do you have any thoughts or knowledge about that? Beyond, I, I talked to Kit Lively about it uh, recently, huh? but he's still on staff, or well, not on staff, but is still freelancing near the end here. So, uh, do you ha- know any? Do you have any inner knowledge about the Mad that you may know, or do you, are you just out of the loop on all that stuff by now? I'm out of the loop. I, I was really surprised when they announced the the end of new material in Mad. That was kind of a shocker to me. I didn't. Especially because they had just hired Bill Morrison to be the editor. So right. Like, oh, oh, Mad's moving out to Burbank or whatever. You know, it's, that's a big, a new beginning. It seemed like. Mm-hmm. And that didn't, unfortunately, didn't last too long. Right. So no, I wish I had some insight. I'm, I'm out of the loop on that one. Okay. Um, Mad magazine did not have much use for me after my time at Crack. So <laughs> my contact with Mad is uh, rather limited. So um, you, you did never try to go back to Mad afterwards after doing. Um, I th- I'm sure there were some submissions. I'm sure there were, um, but <laughs> I wasn't selling them anything. So at a certain point, I, I think I just yeah, I just stopped sending them stuff a long time ago. Mm, yeah. um, I, when I was uh, on staff at Cracked, when I was uh, eventually became editor of Cracked, mm. um, I sort of had this idea of let's make fun of Mad in every issue. Let's poke fun of Mad. Let's say we're better than <laughs> Mad. Let's say Mad. You know, no, we never said Mad sucks. We just you know let's let's have a playful continue that playful war with mad that they've ignored for the last 60 years or however long it's been right <laughs> and uh you know i i don't like think they like that i don't the people at mad certainly don't appreciate being poked yes <laughs> and, uh, <you> know. <laughs> which is ironic so, but <laughs> i'm sorry which is ironic you know since they poke fun at everything else yeah that's true but uh, you know they, they've always had the idea that they're the only humor mag in the world and, and they were the longest lasting they did have the, the longest run Right. And, uh, I guess it's still, it's technically not ending, right? They're switching to all reboots. Right. I mean, yeah. So, But even that, now, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, and even talking to Kid about this and other people, it's like, this got them the most publicity that they've had in like 30 years that they're canceling uh-huh. the magazine. So yeah. I'm sure the powers that be go, let's rethink this. <laughs> <laughs> I can so, see a once a year thing. You know? Yeah, so they may not go all reprint. I mean, they might have most issues reprint, but I bet you know something significant is uh, worthy of parodying. Like, I, you know, they, I don't know if you ever follow it, even just seeing it on the newsstands on occasion. Like one one issue a year is always the twenty th- worst things about twenty nineteen will be coming up typically. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, I can see them keeping that one going because it's an easy one page quick joke. You know thing that they do for 20 pages and you know not do it again for the following year and have all reprints during the year yeah i could see that being an annual thing still but absolutely who knows you know um the weird thing about mad to me though is that uh you know like when we were kids and even into adulthood you know they had like the little pocket-sized paperbacks and everything 
everywhere. And then they just kind of went away, and you know, then they got these overpriced hardback things and stuff like that. And I never understood why they didn't continue on with some sort of paperback line or anything like that. But eh. <laughs> um, the, the consensus seems to be that if people want humor now, they go on the internet. Like true, true, I, true. I kind of yeah. heard that. Um, in the, uh, in the early two thousands, I was trying to sell a uh, pop culture trivia book. And I was told that if people want trivia these days, they go online for that. So wow. <laughs> it seems to be this trend of people going online for things they want instead of paying, you know, whatever, going somewhere for it. Okay, we'll probably go back to crack, but I want to ask you about the gag magazine because uh, didn't you? You did two issues, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Both. Both numbered one. Right. That's why I had to ask that. <laughs> you might have done twelve number ones. I don't know. So that's why I had to double check. I got. I have both of them. Yay! Complete Yay. set. Um, didn't. Wasn't this true? Um, we've talked about a lot of these things before, but never on like a formal podcast interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you were on a game show or something, and with your winnings, you use that to fuel uh, doing the gag magazine. Is that what yes. happened? Okay. Absolutely so, true. So tell that story. I, <laughs> I, I lost so much money publishing Gag One. That the only way I could win Gag Two would be if it would be if I went on a game show and won enough money to do it. <laughs> and so I went on a um, uh, the Howard Stern show at an eighties music trivia game called Stump the Buoy. Mm. And I went on and I and I won. I won the five grand. And I knew I could do it because I, I'm a longtime fan of the Stern show. I'm a huge fan of 80s music, and I, you know, I always pay attention to who sings the songs. That's just something I've always done. Mm-hmm. And um, I noticed that the guy who I was playing against, Baba Bowie, he had a couple of weaknesses, and his big weakness was that he didn't know uh, 80s hair bands. He thought they all sounded the same. So right there, you had a, an easy end how to beat this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, thanks to the good graces of uh, Mr. Sammy Hagar's I Can't Drive 55, <laughs> I, I emerged victorious. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, that was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I had to bring a girl with me uh, who may or may not have been a stripper. And uh, <laughs> the, the gimmick was that she had to get naked if I lost. But even though I won, she they offered her more money, so she got naked. And, uh, <laughs> I did have to give uh, a thousand bucks to her. That was our deal that we had ahead of time. She was like, "All right, I'll come with you. You gotta, you know, yeah. you gotta pay me." Because yeah, I, I mean, I flew, we flew to New York. It was a whole thing. Like if I had lost. You know, I'm out uh, two plane tickets to New York and a night in a hotel. Uh, so yeah, I definitely w- needed to win. win. Losing was not an option. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I was able to uh, parlay that into the, the next issue of Gag, and then that, that turned out to be the final one, and uh, that was fine. I, I had a, a lot of fun putting Gag out. It just mm-hmm. wasn't. You know, I, I always like to say if I had published Gag in the '90s when there was the comic book boom and everybody everything was selling millions of copies, I, I probably could have. Well, maybe certainly not sold millions, but I certainly could have sold a lot more than I ended up selling. Right. And um, maybe made a few bucks added enough to continue. Mm-hmm. But by the year, I think it was like 2004, I did the first one. 2007, I did the second one. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, just, it, it was really hard to launch uh, a new humor magazine at a time when Cracked and Mad were, you know, struggling and mm. people weren't looking for humor magazines at, at their comic shop. Because, you know, I wasn't on newsstands. I just said, let's just go to comic shops. And then it was a, a real eye-opener for me when I went to a Comic-Con in 2000, I want to say 2004, um, to debut my first issue of Gag. And I looked around and I realized, you know, Mad doesn't have a booth at Comic-Con and Cracks doesn't have a booth at Comic-Con. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> because most comic book 
fans aren't looking for humor magazines. Right. So, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, in in retrospect, it was kind of obvious, to, probably to most people on the outside, but to me on the inside, I was like, "Oh, come on, it's fun, it's you know, fun stories and art." And I made sure to put superheroes on the cover. You know, you, you have to do what you can to attract the comic book fans. Right. Uh, if you're only being sold in comic book shops, and I gave it a good shot, gave it the old college try. <laughs> so if you if you got a big influx of money, you wouldn't do a third one or something like that. I don't think so. I think these days I enjoy making uh, funny videos on YouTube, and I'd rather just put the money into funny YouTube videos. Um, just at this point, that's kind of more fun for me. Uh, the idea of publishing something, there's so many costs involved right. in printing. Uh, it was a, an education, but it was a, a very expensive lesson, as they say. It's like, <laughs> I always like to say in life, I, I, I don't mind learning lessons. I just wish they didn't all have to be expensive lessons. <laughs> So, so that issue gag uh, deplete your money and then some, or was it just a break even, or did you still make a profit? No, no, there was no profit. It was, it was pretty <laughs> devastating. It yeah, was just, was you know, I always, you know, when you go into launching your own business, you always figure, okay, we're going to make a ton of money, or at the very least, break even. Yeah, you, know, you certainly right, don't right. go. No one goes into business thinking, hey, we're going to lose so much money on this thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I went into it thinking, all right, well, let's. Let's make some money, and right. then it turned out to not not only not make any money, but actually cost me a lot of money. So wow. okay. um, I probably overpaid on some things, overspent in some areas, um, even things like promotion, things like that. I probably didn't need to fly three people with me out to Comic Con and the booth and the hotel, and you know, it's, it's tough. When you're doing a little small operation, it's, it adds up. Right, right. So yeah, it was completely as unprofitable as can be. The second one, because I didn't technically put any of my own money into it the second one uh, also didn't make any money but didn't lose yeah. nearly as much money as the first one yeah that's the one i was really referring to the one that you oh, won I'm with sorry, the game I show apologize. with the game yeah. show winnings yeah <laughs> yeah the game show one i probably um well i guess it didn't make any money but then it was if you want to say it technically it wasn't my own money that i lost i was betting with the house's money <laughs> my money because I won it on a game show but you know right. literally the only reason I went on the show was to win the money to publish my magazine I probably <laughs> would not have tried to because you know again when I when I go for something I go 110% I was bombarding the Howard Stern staff with letters and emails and uh, <laughs> cartoons and messages just you've got to put me on the show I can beat this guy I had you know I hired a caricaturist to do vicious caricatures of Baba Booey and drawings of me beating him and posters wow just, yeah I went all in just, and they, they just couldn't ignore me anymore. They're just like, we have to put this guy on the show. He's so confident. He seems to think he can win. And you put your hate yeah. She-Hulk just for good measure, too. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Those are the type of things that, you know, I tend to not get as fired up about stuff as you get older. You know, you tend to right. not have that kind of energy anymore. Like, no, it's like it's kind of, yeah, I mean, we, you said that much earlier, but uh, you know, I totally agree with you. It was, Why is it like this? Why is it like this? And it's like, and, and I notice that now on Facebook now. It's like, you know, there'll be people that are 20, 30 years younger the, the, and they'll in fact this just happened the other day you know I'm a big Harvey Comics fan uh-huh. and I did uh, Harvey Comics Companion and there I won't name any names but there's a new uh uh, cartoon show on Netflix uh, called Harvey uh, Harvey Girls, and it has 
modified versions of Little Dot, Little Audrey, and Little Lada, and but they're not true to the comic books. Like Little Dot is now black and uh, different things like that, and their personalities okay. have changed. And you know, so it's vaguely reminiscent of the original characters if you enjoyed them in the comic books. So I got. Uh, inundated by this one guy the other day and it's happened so many times over the last 20 years and it's like we got to get DreamWorks to sell those characters and uh, get them to somebody who's responsible and could make them true to the original thing and rrr, rrr. <laughs> it's like um, when I was younger I'd be kind of like yeah you're right we should rrr, you know and now I'm like ain't gonna happen they're making money off this thing the way they're doing it and they're certainly not just going to give it up because some young guy just tells you so. You know, it's like, unless it's a lawsuit situation or a bankruptcy or something, they're not going to sell the characters for anybody. <laughs> you know, so, anyway, the guy got all pissy with me, but, you know, that was the end of the story. But, you know, it's like, that's the difference between, you know, being younger and older, I think. You know, you just kind of go, eh. I know how this is going to come out. <laughs> yeah. Like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, what if I started writing letters to Marvel again? Maybe that would lead to me getting back into the company again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that would never, ever happen in 2019. So save, save your stamps, boy. Uh, well, the, yeah, there just comes a time. It's the been there, done that. Hey, it had its day and blah, blah. You know, and I think that about Marvel and anybody else and any of the other companies, you know. It's like, it's sad to see Mad go, it's sad to see Crack go, it's sad to see Marvel Comics change, it's sad to see everything else go, and it's like, but it had its day, and, you know, if you want the old stuff, go buy it on eBay, you know, it's still there, you know. <laughs> yeah, and um, the one thing you have to keep in mind is that every new generation thinks that the stuff they're seeing is the best possible version of the thing that they're seeing. Right, right. So for every, you know... Uh, me coming up in the 70s of course I think that was the greatest and people come up in the 80s go no 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 it was the Transformers era and more well that was the greatest yeah. and I totally get that that's a totally valid as, as a wise man once said the golden age of comics is whenever you first started reading them right and it's 100% true and you know that's just something you have to take into account there's, I'm sure there are people right now today in this day and age saying this is the best era of comics, cartoons, whatever. This is the best time to be a fan of these things. And guys like you and I go, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know. You just yeah. don't know what, what, what you're missing. Right. Well, so um, I know you buy collections because you're always posting about some great deal you made, but do you still collect yourself? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. Um, I, I like to tell people I do not own a single comic book. <laughs> I have, uh, you know, boxes and boxes of merchandise for my store, but uh, none of those are mine. That's for the store. Mm -hmm. um, I collected comics for over 30 years. It started at the age of nine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, when I, by the time I reached the age of 40 or so, and, you know, I always said I will never sell one of my comics. Never. It will never, ever happen. Not an option. And even when, you know, you go through times when maybe you need a few extra bucks and some of them, you know, one of your friends might say to you, oh, why don't you just sell some of those? Yeah, you know, you've got 50 long boxes of comics collecting dust in a garage somewhere. Why have you ever thought about selling some? And I would always say, don't even suggest that. That will never happen. <laughs> well, there, there finally came a day when I you know, you sort of think to yourself, well, I've got a bunch of boxes of comics that I no longer look at. They've been collecting dust for years, and I could trade those items in those boxes for cash, which I could use. Yes. And so at a certain point, the need for cash, unfortunately, outweighed the need to have a comic book collection that I no longer looked at. Right. And, <laughs> 
And it's un- unfortunate, but unfor- at a certain point, if you collect anything, there may come a day when you stop looking at the collection. You don't acknowledge it anymore. You don't really pay attention to it. Yeah. And then you say, well, why do I have this thing taking up so much space in right. my wherever, my garage, my house? My yeah, whatever. and I have done that. I haven't done it on everything. The only thing I've done is... Uh, partially because a lot of things aren't published anymore is i don't acquire more i just have what i have you know uh-huh. that, that's kind of where i'm at now i still buy things but it's certainly not in the way i used to where i would get like 30 comics a month or something like that it's like i can safely say there's not one comic book published right now that i need to go out to a comic store and buy you know <laughs> it's just because uh it doesn't mean i can't buy something it just means i don't need to buy it or i don't care you know <laughs> it's like, like well, the, uh, well the other part of that is uh comics have gotten so expensive these days yeah yeah. Where it's basically four bucks is about the average price for a comic book, and I I don't feel like I've ever gotten four dollars worth of entertainment value out of any comic book. <laughs> um, maybe that's just my, you know your own mileage may vary, but you know when I started they were a quarter, and yeah. I was there the whole time when they made that jump to thirty cents and thirty five and forty. And then they started jumping ten cents at a time. Then they started jumping twenty five cents at a time. <laughs> then they started jumping a dollar at a time, and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I was there uh, for me pretty much. Four o'clock was the breaking. Four o'clock. I'm sorry. Four four dollars was the breaking point. That was the. Yeah. It was four o'clock today. Yes, I get it. Uh, yes, I said we've gone too far. Uh, yeah. I can't. I can't justify this anymore. I can't. So I stopped buying once they hit four dollars. Yeah. Well, I was still buying them till last year, but then things changed. Yeah, this is mainly, like I said, it's like the only thing I was buying now is Mad, and I I, I do subscribe to it, but you know, subscribing to it gets a little cheaper. So, but mm-hmm. you know, but I I don't say it's really a comic book that I'm actively seeking out. You know, co- you know, in comparison to everything else, but sure, sure. And then once I started uh, flipping collections, now I can go out and buy someone's whole collection for fifty cents a book or less. And I get all the new issues from the last five years when someone jumps their collection off. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying I read all of them, but it is kind of fun sometimes. I try to pick out a few that I want to read and you yeah. know read them for 50 cents a book instead of 4 or $5 a book. It's right. far more entertaining. Now, when you when you say you have a shop, it's an online shop, right? You don't have yes. a physical building. Yeah, that's what I thought because I was like, I'd never heard of Barry's Comics, but you never know. No, yeah. no. <laughs> if I ever did open a store, I would want to call it Barry comics um with no s because like i always figure these days if i meet somebody let's say you meet like uh sally who sells seashells by the seashore you would write in your phone you would put sally seashells mm-hmm. so i figure if people meet me they write barry comics um if they meet me for the first time and put me in their phone so i was like okay that'll be my store barry comics <laughs> <laughs> and see how many people get the name wrong right but no, I, I don't see any reason to have a physical store these days that's the greatest thing about the times that we live in and you know i like to think um i don't i'm not the most tech savvy guy but i'm tech savvy enough to figure out how ebay works and how uh you know facebook marketplace works and so on and so forth you don't have to be a, a genius to figure those things out um but yeah you can buy and sell things online and you don't need a store anymore and that's yeah, I, I know a guy who opened up a comic shop a couple years ago in Pasadena, oh. and his monthly lease was $3,000 a month, and uh, he was out of business in about a year. Um, yeah. It's just hard to to sell. You know, you got to sell $3,000 a month worth of product just to pay your lease. That's right. before, before buying the product for your store and paying your staff. 
Yeah, the expenses are ridiculous, especially, you know, I live in Southern California where things are ridiculously expensive. So, yeah, a brick-and-mortar store in 2019, I don't see the reason for it. In fact, aren't a lot of stores sort of going the opposite route, sort of closing their brick-and-mortars yeah, online yeah. only? Yeah. Uh, I don't mean just comic shops. I mean in general, store major stores, you know, clothing stores and things of that nature. Yeah, uh, a lot of them are like, you know, I'm going to close my store once the lease is up, you know. I mean, the only ones that can t- typically survive now, I think, are the people who actually own their own building. If they own the real estate, you know, they can always sublease or, you know, whatever, you know. But if, yeah. you, but if you're leasing from somebody else, forget it. Unless it's a really high-end product, uh which comic books aren't even at four bucks a pop <laughs> that's pretty much it it's like you know um uh, i couldn't imagine if if you had a monthly lease of three to four thousand uh and you're selling four dollar comic books i mean just <laughs> i'd be tearing my hair out every month while, yeah. but you know, of course the great thing with having a brick and mortar store is you could also do the uh, online stuff at the same time right you could certainly supplement you know it's not like a store is busy you know 12 hours a day, you could certainly spend your downtime listing things. Right. But, um, but again, it's, it seems like an extra expense. I don't know if you ever saw this. I still have it in my stuff somewhere. It's a magazine. It was, uh, it was on newsprint, uh, just black and white. It was called How to Start a Comic Store or something like that. And mm-hmm. it came out like about 1980, somewhere along the line. And it oh, was yeah? saying you could start it w- with a thousand bucks, you know, oh, <laughs> which yeah. seemed like a lot then because that's when I, but it wasn't a lot like now you'd probably have to to start it you'd probably have to start with like 50 grand or something like that just to get up and running and everything if you're really seriously intent on starting a comic book store in the traditional yeah. way a yeah. friend of mine told me that he knows a guy who's opening a brand new comic store here in my area hmm. uh, soon and all I can think of is now in 2019 why would you do that yeah yeah <laughs> strange <laughs> So, um, let's talk about one last thing before I let you go. Um, you you have different books, or you've written a few different books. Um, some of them I've never seen. One of them I know well, and we could start with that one, is, uh, The Shy Guide's Guide to Dating. (laughs) How did that come about? I mean, I know you said you were a shy guy. Uh, how did you come about writing it, and how did you break out of your shell? (laughs) Well, that's, uh... A book that 100% is based on my experiences. Uh, very shy as a young man, never dated in high school, was always too shy to ask out any girls. Uh, always wanted to, always, you know, had the uh, intention, but just couldn't couldn't get up the nerve. And uh, the book is written in such a way where I talk about my experiences. I, I, I watched a lot of movies and TV shows, studied everything I saw, and then tried to duplicate what I saw in movies and TV shows. <laughs> and uh, the example I always like to give is... You know, you'd watch a show like Happy Days, even like the nerdiest character on the show, which would be Potsy, would still get dates. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, well, well, even Potsy's getting dates, you know, like, <laughs> and he's like the biggest nerd. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm better than Potsy, you know, I could certainly get, do better than him. So it was just taking inspiration from uh, teen sex comedies of the 80s. And then just in general, any any show where they gave you advice on dating or you where you'd see uh, uh, Three's Company, Jack Tripper getting a new date every week. Right. Um, the Love Boat. You, know, you see people hooking up all the time. You're like, wow, these guys are having sex on the first night. What? How do you do that? How how can I do that? You just need so, scriptwriters, that's all. <laughs> yeah, 
most of those shows were written by scriptwriters who probably never got laid. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was their fantasy. But I believed the fantasy. So the book was written in a very humorous way of, hey, here's some shows you could watch. And remember, I remember watching this show, and it inspired me to do that. And I was scared to hit on girls, but then I saw this one show where Jack Tripper hit on a girl, you know, that kind of thing. So it's very much a lighthearted look at getting over your shyness and meeting girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book did quite well. I got I, I got my nice little bump uh, in the uh, L.A. reality slash game show uh, market, <laughs> being the uh, shy. They call me the shy guy guru, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I did a whole bunch of game shows and reality shows. Uh, with it, you know, you're the guy who wrote the book on dating, but you're single. Ha ha ha! So they get the big last line, and uh, <laughs> I get some TV exposure. And then the book did really well. I was very happy with it. Of course, dating doesn't mean you're in a relationship, but so. <laughs> That's true. So, Maybe uh, I was dating a different girl every night. Was there, know. huh? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the old thing where people are like, "Oh, you think you're the expert on dating?" Blah, blah. So, no, no, no. The book was written to help guys who have trouble getting over that hump of how can I just ask down a girl. It was never me saying I'm the expert. I'm, I just said I figured out a way to do it based on studying the behavior of my favorite movie and TV show characters. Um, <laughs> You know, watching movies like, um, what was that? Oh, the movie, uh, Hard Bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in the 80s, we had all these sex comedies, uh, right. Last American Virgin, um, I, I, I never, I hated Porky's. That was not good. Zap- like Fast, time, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> just good, good old fashioned teen sex comedies. Right, right. And, uh, so those are among my inspirations. And, uh, so, you know, I, I never said I was an expert on dating. I'm just an expert on getting over shyness. Right. And at least approaching girls to the point where you can, you know, ask them out. Did you ever knowingly help anybody? Like, did you ever get letters saying, you really helped me, what you wrote in the book? Or is... Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd say so. I had a few people uh, either send me emails or I would do book signings, and someone would show up at a book signing with a copy of the book in hand and say, like, yeah, your book really helped me a lot. Um, <laughs> I used to do a, a Q&A thing. I, I, there used to be a website I had for the book. Uh-huh. Uh, Side Guys Guide to Dating website. I don't have it anymore. But um, and I had an advice thing in there where you could write to me and ask me questions. But over time, the questions were all basically the same question over and over and over again. How do I ask out this girl? You know, so at a certain point, I was like, I can't. How many times can I answer the same question? So right, <laughs> I, I let it go. <laughs> and you have a couple other books. You may have more, but the, I've only found three that you did. One is everything I really know. Uh, really needed to know I've learned from TV which sounds like the basis for the Shy Guy book as well <laughs> I guess you could see a theme in my work yeah. <laughs> I watched so much TV as a kid I, I barely watch any TV as a grown up I kind of feel like I did all my prime TV watching in the 70s and 80s Right. kind of got, got it out of my system and now the thought of when people talk about binging shows I'm like oh you gotta watch all 64 episodes my god who has the time <laughs> um, so I don't really binge anything you know or right. if I do I take like three years to watch one show so you know <laughs> my version of binging is one episode a week every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock that's my binge right. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words oh the old network TV model yes. so well so many years um, um but yeah, that was, of course, the book, uh, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I just looked at that book, and I said, well, the only things I ever learned in kindergarten were finger painting and napping. Those are the <laughs> two things I, I didn't really learn them. I probably knew them already. So, so really, TV has taught me far more than anything else ever could. So I said, let's, let's make a book out of that. And it, it did pretty well, actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know you wrote that one. I do remember that book. I may even have it somewhere, but it's like, oh, you did write that book. Huh, okay. Yeah, I, I asked my buddy uh, Rick Parker to draw that one, and then he went on to do Beavis and Butthead for Marvel. Yep. Um, 
Yep. We had met while working at Marvel, and I said, this guy's a very talented artist. He was only doing lettering at the time. He wasn't doing any drawing, really. I know. So I've I, talked to him before. Yeah, he said he started as a letter, which is really strange. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you could sort of tell by the end he was kind of getting bored with the lettering. <laughs> he really just wanted to have fun drawing because he right. he's so good at drawing. Right. At that point, it was a waste of the talents to have him just be a letter. He's just so – his cartooning is, is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the other book I saw is How to Be a Hollywood Superstar. Now, that one I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen, so what, tell me about oh. <laughs> You should buy it on Amazon. It's great. That's right. That's where I saw it. I was like, I, I, I didn't know I did this book. Another <laughs> super talented artist. Uh, I was working with, uh, when I was editing Captain America, or assistant editing, uh, there was an artist on that book named Dave Hoover. And he somehow, I said, I'm looking for an artist who can do caricatures. He goes, oh, my brother, Rich, he does caricatures. So sure enough, his brother does these brilliant, brilliant caricatures. He has, uh, both of the Hoover brothers have sadly passed on. Actually, they both died pretty young. Um, but I was really thrilled I was able to get him to draw that book uh, for me before he passed on. Hmm. And, uh, it's a really funny book. And, you know. It's just a really funny look about how if you can imitate the behavior of all your favorite celebrities, then you could be a superstar too. You know, <laughs> you know, throw your cell phone in someone's face at the hotel desk, you know, that kind of thing. Right? And, any truth in it? I mean, does it, has anything worked? Well, it's clearly worked for me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's tried it. But, uh, Weren't you in a couple movies too, or something like that? Just a little bit parts or something. Yeah, I, I did some extra work in movies back when I, when I ironically, I lived in the Miami area, and there was oh. a lot of that going on at the time, oh, okay. but uh, ultimately I got super bored with it, and now um, I like to describe myself as a show business personality, <laughs> meaning I don't do any acting, uh-huh. but you will occasionally see me on TV. I have one TV gig that I taped um, earlier this year, I can't really talk about it yet because it hasn't aired yet and they told us not to, but uh, that'll be coming up. On, uh, on the National Geographic Channel. Wow. That's from left field. Seemingly left field. It may not be for you, but for me, it's like, whoa. <laughs> it'll be a really interesting show. I can't say anything about it, but okay. it's, an, it's an interesting social experiment uh, that I did not know was going... Like, I, I knew I was going to be on the show, but they didn't tell us what the experiment was before ah. we got there. So you'll see something fun there. And then uh, there may or may not be another game show coming up in 2019. Uh, it's too soon to say at this point. But it wouldn't be Howard Stern. It would be something else, right? <laughs> no, this would be a, a network uh, Like Like the, the Jeopardy Wheel of Fortune Prices, right, type stuff? That type? Yeah, so some kind of a prime time uh, network that type uh, game of thing. Show. Okay, uh, it hasn't. We haven't taped it yet, and we're not allowed to tell you what it is. So well, when it's we'll closer, it. yeah, message me or something and let me know what it is. But okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, and then you're still doing. I know you do a lot of stuff on YouTube and stuff like that. Do your uh, opinions about things there and stuff like that. Uh, you're still doing that pretty regularly now. <laughs> Not as regularly as I, as I was. I don't okay. really get many hits when I do it. So it's one of those things where you put a couple hours into something and you get like 30 hits. And you yeah. go, well, maybe there's better ways for me to reach people. Maybe there's... Okay. Because I know you had some frustration with that a while back, and I don't know if you were able to amend that. And it's like it sounds like no. So, okay. Well, it's, it's just because <laughs> most of my friends on Facebook are pretty much over 40. And so they grew up in the era of not watching things on videos like... I, I did an experiment. I said, let me write a review of a movie and then also record a video of reviewing the same thing. And I got far more hits on the written review than I did on the you know, video. Wow. And then I asked my friends, I said, well, just out of curiosity, what makes you not want to watch a video? And most people 
I, it was interesting. They just said, well, we're at work, we're busy, we don't have time to watch a video, but if it's an article, I can click on the article whenever, you know, going to the bathroom or, you know, uh, going, you know, sitting around the house late at night, bedtime. You can, you know, I guess people prefer to, <laughs> at least my, my Facebook friends just prefer to read things rather than watch a video, but they, they grew up in a different era for the most part. So... I give credit. But the other thing, too, is if you're going to review a movie, the main thing people seem to do is put clips, lots and lots of clips from the movie, just you know, steal them from the trailer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, sort of too lazy to go to all the trouble to put all the <laughs> clips in there. So you know, if, I, if I'm not going to do it in such a way that pe- people like that format, mm-hmm. um, they don't want to see one guy's face talking for the most part. They prefer to see the clips mixed in. Right. So if you're willing to do the work, you could probably get some good views. But um, I, don't know. I guess I'm too lazy for that. Or I don't know all the technology yet. I'm still learning. <laughs> well, it does take a lot of effort. I'll agree. I mean, even doing these podcasts takes a little effort because I have to edit it. I can't just put it up. We're done. Here it is. You know, it's like I have to make it sound all nice and cut off the ends and blah blah blah. Anyway, but <laughs> um, anything else going on for you uh, that we should look out for besides game shows and National Geographic and um, eventually, someday I'm going to turn my blog into a book. I, I did a blog where I told about all my experiences in uh, game shows and reality TV shows. Cool. So that will be a book someday. I apologize to all my Kickstarter backers. It is happening, just taking longer than it should. But it is okay. happening. I, I so it was you. a Kickstarter. Okay. okay. Yeah, there was. That was my first and last. And uh, <laughs> someday I'm going to do a graphic novel where I talk about all my um, experiences in online dating, and I will definitely be calling Mike Kazela for that one because cool. uh, he's one of many artists I want to work with on that project. Yes, very good. Um, so, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Websites, contact, info? Best way is through Facebook. That oh. seems to be the, the go to these days. Okay. And if they're trying to buy comic books from you, I mean, do you have a, a store on eBay or anything, or you just put up everything just randomly? I do have an eBay store. I can give you the name. Um, unfortunately, couldn't get the name I wanted, so I it's just not, sort of it's not very comics. <laughs> no, and in fact, I should have gone with that because I tried Barry's Comics. That was taken. Barry's Comics Two, Barry's Comics Three, Barry's Comics Three Thousand. All of them were taken. So I eventually ended up with this, and I'll, it's uh, Funky F U N K Y. I think it's two five two oh seven. That's what I got stuck with. So wow, <laughs> yeah. Funky. In, in retrospect, I should have gone with a different name, but that's, that's the one I have at this You're time. You're stuck with it forever. <laughs> but basically, uh, I sell most of my comics on Facebook. So if you follow me on Facebook, uh, there is a group I belong to called Comic Book Lovers. And if you join the Comic Book Lovers group, we have 15,000 hot hardcore comic book fans there. Wow. Uh, and I post new books just about every single day of the year. So it's a lot of fun. Very cool. All right. I want to thank you, Barry, for being my special guest today. And it was fun. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Barry Dutter, for being my special guest. Episode number 54 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. 
This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. of your loot.